to the viewers and listeners out there, welcome back to Inclusive Plug powered by Reconomy. This is episode 25. My name is Sabin. Joining me here is Zenebe Uraguchi, an economist and manager of a 12-country program in green and inclusive economic development called Reconomy. Thank you for joining me, Zenebe. Thank you for having me, Sabin. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Just recently, I hosted a discussion with two distinguished guests, Duncan Green and uh, Professor in Practice in International Development at the London School of Economics, and he's also Senior Strategic Advisor at Oxfam, and Nabanita Sam Beckers, who is a Director of Opportunities and Limited. For the viewers out there, it's, it's a technical and management consultancy firm specializing in private sector development. Also, Nabanita is part of the DCD Secretariat, focusing on their results measurement uh, work. We discussed what would be an alternative to the term beneficiary? Let's check it out. Um, I have an eight-year-old child who has cerebral palsy. And with her, I have often struggled with labels, you know, so as to say, you know, people use the word special child or even disabled child. And for me, she's just a regular eight-year-old. And I feel that when you box her into that certain category, automatically people tend to view her in a certain light. So I guess, you know, just to maybe like go back to the question you raised, I think it's the same term like applies to like beneficiary or, you know, when you insinuate a person as a beneficiary, you look at that as a recipient of some sort of benefit, which you might create or might not create. So um, you don't put that person on an equal term. Um, so for me, uh, this question, you know, you're going back to your question on like, you know, what is a good term to use? I think like, you know, call a person by who he is. A farmer is a farmer, youth is youth, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. Um, why don't we just stick to that, those terms? And maybe if you want to, um, uh, speak about a particular group of people together, if you're, you know, if you're working in a project and reaching different kinds of, um, people, perhaps you could call them, um, um, uh, target people or something of that sort, but like not to try and put a label to it. Words are often not the problem. Word, I mean, words are both a kind of a product of an imbalance of power and a way of constructing imbalances of power. So calling someone a beneficiary, it, it constructs a world of us and them, uppers and lowers in the world of Robert, in the language of Robert Chambers. You know, they are just sitting there waiting to benefit from our own you know, altruism. So, but if you replace it with another word and you don't change the, the, the nature of the power imbalance, that word too will become, uh, all meaning will be sucked out of it and it'll become like partner. Now, partner should be okay, but it's become just the same, We you know, because the imbalance of power is still there. Mm -hmm. So I think words are, there's only a certain amount you can do by changing the words. And I agree with, with, with Navanitas about, you know, something neutral. To me, recipient, maybe is better than beneficiary because it's like it just describes a particular part of the aid business which is someone giving money to someone else but it still is imbued with this power imbalance so i'm not sure how far you're going to get with playing around with the words to be honest thank you very much duncan so let's dive deeper are you as likely to involve a beneficiary in design and budgeting as you would a partner let's say right so proposals outline program or project beneficiaries. Donors want reports on beneficiaries reached. So we talk about beneficiary feedback, right? So what's your experience, Duncan? Well, that's interesting because I suppose the way partner is used normally describes organizations rather than individuals, right? So 
a partner would be a CSO or a faith-based organization, a civil society organization or a faith-based organization or a piece of government. And therefore, they you would you would uh, anticipate them having the 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 yeah the time and the capacity to to work with you to create something. Beneficiary tends to imply individuals with that awful over, overlay of uh, passiveness and lack of agency. In which case, the best you can hope for really is a cash transfer, which at least gives them the agency to use the money as they wish. So I think you're right if the word beneficiary carries with it the idea that they would not be involved except as recipients and as complainants. So increasingly, organizations like Oxfam are taking the whole feedback system of beneficiaries um, to complain about abuse or bad service more seriously. So there is, there is some uh, uh, feedback, if you like, feedback loops, but not in the construction of projects so much. Um, that tends to be through organizations. Interesting. Uh, Nabonita, you worked actually with uh, MSD projects and programs before. So what's your experience? Um, yeah, I think a bit similar to what Duncan is saying, but I think um, what Duncan also said about the thing um, about considering their opinion also, like getting the feedback from them, I think that is quite important. Um, often in my work, unfortunately, I do see a lot of projects which are very supply driven in, you know, rather than being demand driven. So, you know, we guess like this is their problem. So, you know, we come up with all our solutions and I think that really doesn't work. Um, at the same time, also, I think like what uh, Duncan said, that ultimately you need to get information from them, but you need to analyze it yourself. I'll give you an um, example. I was recently in Indonesia for a work and um, we were, you know, um, we were trying to find out uh, these um, uh, vegetable farmers, why they have low productivity. And uh, one particular farmer told us like, oh, it's all got to do with like, you know, I'm not getting a good supply of seed and the problem is with the retailer. So actually I went to AliExpress and I ordered the brand of seed that I wanted. So, you know, his, um, he, he, according to him, the problem was basically it was the retailer who wasn't giving him the good seed. But later we found out through analysis that actually the retailer wasn't carrying that seed because it had uh, the, the seed company had stopped producing that three years ago. So what he was buying from AliExpress turned out to be um, counterfeit seeds. So, you know, that kind of analysis, that's something still a project needs to do on its own. But, you know, certainly hear from the um, uh, from the individual but then you need to still um, analyze the information and uh, come up with, you know, try to uh, try to use that to inform the design of a project. I mean, a yeah. great, great example, uh, Navanita. So I think there's, there's a completely different approach to all this, which kind of highlights this weird um, us and them mentality. It's called positive deviance. So in a situation like Indonesia, yeah. the positive deviance approach would be to just identify the farmers who've got higher levels of productivity. With or without any aid intervention, because exactly. there will always be a spread of results, right? And okay. then you can identify the positive outliers and just go and see why they're there. What, what are they doing differently? Absolutely. And they found a solution within the existing system and set, you know, constraints. Yeah. And you don't intervene. You just go and see what's working. It's all exactly. asset-based approaches, appreciative inquiry. There's a whole bunch of areas which are the complete opposite of, of the deficit based inquiry which is at the heart of most aid projects which is what do these people need what do they lack what are they not good at which is a in some ways a really dumb point of entry let's go find out what people are good at and support it right yeah absolutely something that's big in there in the aid business 
The way we describe people shapes how we perceive and act toward them. Terms and words that are used in development seem to indicate who holds power and who doesn't. But then, does this matter? Sometimes it may not matter what we call someone, rather the way we treat and approach someone is more important than the description or labeling itself. Some refer to the beneficiaries or the beneficiaries as partners, but partners feels a bit unclear. Uh, yeah, that's a very good point, you know, Sabine, but we will not now try to be terminology experts, but but let's let's give it a try. Um, I would say that humans have have given names, you know, to the things around them, to the people around them, to to kind of identify what they are, who they are, such as a tree, a plants, birds, fire, beneficiaries, quote unquote. But however, as time progressed they also began uh, giving names to, to social concepts, such as a friend, a husband, wife, development, donor, and then, and, and, and then others. For me, this is not a bad thing because I asked myself, how are we supposed to understand the world if we don't convey its meaning using words? So, so at, at its core, Language is nothing more than a collection of words and, and socially shared rules that create communication between people. So as long as we get the job done, I think it may not matter. But sometimes it does matter because beneath the words, you have uh, the description of relationship uh, in terms of you know, power. So coming, coming back to you, your question, uh, to be a beneficiary implies that a person receives something good. Um, descriptively, beneficiary partially works from our experience. So in development, beneficiaries are largely disempowered, to be, to be honest. So at the same time, however, um, it, it's questionable that what they are receiving is is at all for free uh for example funds are raised on their behalf in their names and hence we do have uh what i call downward accountability and and uh, th that's exactly actually and some development organizations use the word citizen instead of beneficiary but isn't citizen largely a legal term like sovereign states have citizens but developing organizations like Helmetas don't, right? Yes, but but I'd like also to ask you back the question: How about refugees and undocumented migrants? You know, uh, if you go out, you know, uh, here in Bern, in Switzerland, where I live, you see many of the people, you know, moving around from Syria, from Eritrea, from Iraq, Afghanistan. So it, it's important to note that not all, quote unquote, beneficiaries are citizens. Surely their voices need to be heard as well. Exactly. I know that you, Zenebe, wrote a blog article on this topic in 2019. Can you kind of walk us through your argument? Oh, sure. I mean, what, what I tried to, to document was the issue of how uh, development cooperation has 
increasingly being described as a global partnership between between different countries, not between those um, uh, with resources, you know, like human financial, uh, to go out there and, and support those that seek to get the support. Uh, what I was trying to to, to argue is, uh, building a better world will require all of us, uh, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, to 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 be sort of empathetic, passionate, and above all, cooperative. However, reality bites. You know, if you go to 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 the different countries where development cooperation takes place. Um, there is a there is a requirement where we all need to recognize that solutions, mainly if not at all, should come from people within the countries that aspire to have better lives through determining you know their dignity and security and and through uh, the use of their resources in a in a very sustainable manner. For me, this is not naive, but realistic and justifiable. But I asked myself also, at the same time, as I documented in, in the blog, for this to work, perhaps we need to move from being a, a kind of a tyranny of experts to, 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 to becoming you know, genuine collaborators who are conscious of how we use words and levels. And indeed, I think we should also recognize that words are sometimes symbols. And they change meaning over time and, and in different contexts. So I think the evolution of language creates the opportunity for words to lose their meaning and maybe to liberate us from the stigma that they 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 convey. So so say some 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 may sound you know grammatically wrong, as Duncan was arguing. Others may seem really weird, you know they are accepted and they become part of our day-to-day -day life. Yet we need to be conscious of the context of using them. So by letting words change meaning for us, we are, I should say, trying to redefine diversity and creating social change, if that makes sense. Your, your argument makes sense because meaningful development cooperation in a messy world needs the recognition that solutions mainly if not all come from people within the countries that aspire to have better lives yeah, exactly that was what i was trying to 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 say you know but but at the same time there is no straightforward answer see sabi um on the one hand i want to say that what is in the name meaning as nabanita says it may not matter on the other hand words have power their meaning crystallizes mm -hmm perceptions that shape our beliefs, uh, drive our behavior, and, and I'm afraid ultimately create our world. So as Duncan argues, beneath words, there is an indication of who holds power and who does not. A good example is partnership, which is not a neutral term. Why I'm saying that it's not a neutral term, because it kind of conceals, it kind of disguises, you know, complex relationships of power and, and inequality, which are often, you know, um, expressed through uh, the, the control of one partner over, over the other. Then, then comes, you know, how labels and words influence to create 
a person's self-image. Uh, for example, beneficiaries' perception of themselves and their abilities are often created you know, by words that are used about them, whether that person agrees with those words or not. So, so to follow up with what Neverita was saying about her daughter, in order to, in order to emphasize that people with quote-unquote disabilities are capable of living full, independent, integrated lives within their community, I believe it is important to, to kind of consider how our use of language can affect um, unconscious attitudes, if you like, about disability and then how our use of language can challenge those attitudes. It's not a case like sticks and stones mm -hmm. will not break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not like that, you know? But, but, but Duncan and I have something in common, you know? We both love blogging. In, in 2018, exactly. come up with, you know, some broad categories of terms used in, in the development that need to be either maybe banned or rethought because of their, quote-unquote, what he called awfulness, you know, terms like impactful, capacitating, seem, seem to be <laughs> distorted Shakespearean language, so to speak. So, so those that are condescending, kind of looking down upon others or patronizing include um, empowerment, capacity building, terms like the thous. I was born and raised in Ethiopia, but I left a long time ago, seem to be outdated and wrong, while those that try to make the speaker sound smart are leveraging an in business model. So I think we mm -hmm. need to rethink. But as I said, words evolve, words change, but we need to be conscious of using them. But sometimes I think we have to accept terms which may seem, as I said, uh, grammatically wrong or, or weird. Maybe let, let me stop there. <laughs> there are so many terrible words in, in the aid business. So I think there's there's awful terms like beneficiary, beneficiary, which just kind of carry this baggage of uh, white savior complex, north south colonialism. Um, I would add empowerment, which is about us empowering them, uh, which is terrible. Capacity building, us building their capacity. And when I was working briefly at DFID, an Indian civil society organisation applied for funding to come and build the capacity of UK NGOs, which we, which I thought was brilliant. But sadly, Claire Short, the minister, you know, rejected it. But I thought that, that what a good idea, right? Because yeah, obviously UK NGOs don't know stuff, and that would have been a lot of fun. The poor, capital letters. <laughs> yeah, these are all things which other, which, uh, which, which kind of fix that imbalance of power. So that's so they're just awful words. But then you've got words which started off good, and then have the life sucked out of them by the imbalance of power. So participatory, transformative. Oh my God! You know, it's kind of, sprinkled over people's documents like salt or pepper <laughs> the participatory one that's so good that you bring it up duncan just like you know how that yeah. <laughs> is going the same way sustainable <laughs> yeah these words started off meaning something and now they just become bleh. um things that ignore complexity and and, and the, the way everywhere is different uh, best practice i hate best practice yeah. <laughs> Because like best practice in Tanzania, why should that be? Why should that work in Madhya Pradesh? You know what? What are you talking about? So, so that's really annoying. And then there's just bad English. I'm a you know I'm a writer. 
and I'm offended by words like learnings, which I just hate, and um, impactful, oh, and nerves, <laughs> nouns which become verbs, like impacting, I'm fighting a losing battle. Impacting, it's not a verb. Affecting <laughs> is a verb. Impacting is just nonsense. But I give up on those. I, I, I I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. <laughs> Sorry, you got me started, Sabina. <laughs> no, really good, actually. Thank you, Duncan. That's quite interesting. And, and as someone who is working in communications, like myself, in a program like Reconomy that's using the market systems development approach, I saw in your list of words is also systemic change. <laughs> and that's something we try to do at Helvetus. So what would you replace that with? Like, sometimes I just wish there was an application where I could just run through any text. <laughs> and I saw the feedback there in your blog from someone, and it would give me plain language alternatives, right? Well, so. you know, so, so the, the, the George Orwell wrote a fantastic guide to, um, to write in good English, you know, uh, in one of his uh, essays. And it said things like, you know, if two words just automatically go together in your head, don't use them, right? <laughs> um, you know, so it's like sustainable development. No, don't do it. Um, so, so I think that's a place to start. Um, an alternative to system to system change would be real life, maybe. You know, <laughs> you know, this idea that systems are something really magical. Well, everybody's life is a system. Everybody's, well, you know. Well, to try and explain systems thinking, I say, imagine, imagine you when you have a baby, you, you set out a log frame for the next 18 years for every activity uh, designed to achieve the outcome of the perfect 18 year old, that baby would grow up deeply disturbed, if not a serial killer, you know, that's not how <laughs> systems work. Um, so you just have to get it in with the, the, the age system has kind of departed from normality and reality, and the words kind of keep it there. And so if we can just get back to using normal words, it might help a bit. But Zelabe, if we are forced to answer what's the alternative of beneficiary, it would be stakeholders, right? If we are forced, yes, yes, I agree. Um, to provide an example from, from a regional inclusive and green economic development called Reconomy, which is, which is a program of the, the Swedish government, SIDA, Ein and Helvetas, um, a Swiss development organization. This program works, you know, to support women and youth who are our stakeholders, not uh, passive beneficiaries. Why? They actively and intelligently navigate and manipulate, you know, the complex ecosystem of development initiatives and organizations. You know, they, they have a stake. Basically, they, they participate. So, so at Helvetas, we share, you know, our experiences from, from different countries. Uh, considering that Reconomy operates in two quite large and diverse regions of Europe, that's the Western Balkans and Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern Partnership countries, we feel it is our responsibility to tell the stories of the people that we work with and share our experience of, of working and exchanging with different countries. So, so development should be human-centered. Uh, and then with a genuine interest in people and in their, their lives, who are our stakeholders. We work with them. They do have stakes. I think, like, you know, Duncan has raised a lot of um, uh, very, you know, relevant and um, useful um, advice. I think, like, especially going on to the systemic change, like, this is something, like, I also struggle a lot with in my work, um, especially when you throw around, like, you know, all these, like, 
blah 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 words and you don't understand what it means um i i remember when i started working and um i actually come from an actuarial science background so i was new in development and when i started working like you lost me after two pages when you used too much jargon i just didn't understand it it was very difficult for me as an outsider to come and like you know try and understand it so just use simple word and what it means and that really you know helps communicate it uh with people um, no, but it's, jargon has a purpose, right? It's not just neutral. So, you know, if I go, this is a systems problem, <laughs> yeah. remember, and you feel worse, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I have no idea what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> these, yeah. these have a kind of, uh, yeah. they reinforce the guild, the sort of closed world of the expert, uh, yeah. you know, and, and um, that's yeah. their purpose partly. So jargon, Jargon has a positive role as well. It saves a lot of time. It builds yeah. a sense of identity, but it clearly has an exclusionary purpose too. Yeah. yeah. And it's also like what you said, Duncan, that also resonates very well that, you know, when you say that like these often words are really meant with well purposes, but then they take a life on its own. Like initially, I didn't really think much about like, you know, the global South. I didn't, you know, I just thought like, okay, North and South, you know, <laughs> it's fine. But then being a person who is from the global south i remember very recently somebody you know said something about like you know it's your responsibility to do something for people from the global south and i'm like hang on a minute i don't need help <laughs> or like you know then it it does um it does take a life of its own yeah and humor really i love those radiate adverts that the norwegian aid agency funded which have the kind of campaign to send radiators from South Africa to Norway because it's so horribly cold. Invert <laughs> the logic. And some of them are really, the humour is great and they're quite sophisticated satires. That kind of thing can help expose the yeah. ludicrous nature of the language quite well. I think humour is an un underused. Yeah, aid agencies don't do humour very well. <laughs> no. They should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's why your blogs are also a ray of light for a lot of people. Yeah, all time just says, oh, we give up, let him, let him do what he wants. Yeah. So that's no, th thank you very much. Uh, very interesting discussion here. Uh, and Duncan, if you were forced to have an alternative to beneficiary, the word, right? You were saying recipient. Am I correct? Uh, that's in the sort of close proximity, or I might say person. Ah, <laughs> uh -huh, right. Or because like Navanita said right at the beginning, uh, right. person qualified by... Farmer, trade unionist, you know, uh, uh, the danger is even when you say farmer, trade unionist, you're also narrowing down their experience because people are, you know, people are intersectional, as we say. There we <laughs> are. There's another one. Um, and so, you know, the trade unionist may also be uh, a feminist or or actually a wife beater. You know, they could both be trade unionists. So it's very hard. It's not easy getting this right. But I think... Um, at least not having these very crude pigeonholes would be a start. Also considering that the beneficiary is not someone who receives a benefit passively, right? So they actively and intelligently navigate and manipulate the complex ecosystem of like development initiatives. If we are talking about not this classical humanitarian development, right? Okay, well, look, how about investee? <laughs> right? So... I don't know. It's not going to catch on. It's just too weird. But, <laughs> but but the idea is, you know, you're investing in these people and then they make you work. Yeah. So how do you capture that sort of sense rather than just, you know, please give me some money? Um, yeah.
It was a fascinating discussion with Nabarita and Duncan, but it doesn't end here. To achieve sustainable and scalable impact, we must work with everyone, including the disadvantaged and excluded, uh, as well as the if, private if, sector. If it, yeah? is a cor if, if it is a correct <laughs> terms, you are using based on Duncan's list, yes. <laughs> <laughs> True, exactly. <laughs> as well as the private sector, civil society and the public sector. However, also with one small change of a word, changes the way we think. The impact doesn't end when we deliver our work, right? Impact begins there, when the people we serve go on to lead far beyond our work, far beyond us, and usually without us. After all, aren't we in the business of putting ourselves out of business anyway, right? So to the viewers and listeners, if you are a beneficiary, let us know what you want to be called. Others have thought much more about this issue, and we'd love to listen to your additional reflections on the topic. Language and meaning constantly evolve while knowledge adapts and expands. Zenebe, thanks once again for being part of this episode. Thank you very much indeed, Sabin. You are doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you.